Amen. Thank you so much. You can have a seat. Uh, thank you, praise team, for being so prepared to lead us in worship this morning. Um, it has been encouraging to hear um, just the heart of certainty this morning uh, in our worship songs, um, the statements that are just sung, um, true to God's word, but just sung as truth. Just um, It just has reminded me just in my heart, uh, just the certainty that we can that we can walk and trust in the Lord in, um, and it's just it's been a really good morning just to sing uh, the truth of His Word in song. Uh, so thank you so much for coming in. Um, it, I, I don't know about you, but um, do you ever have those moments where you you really want to think you, you've come to the place in life where you kind of you, you got it all together, like you, you kind of at least can figure out the the basics of life and and you, you can kind of keep up with your own self at least. You want you want to kind of feel a little bit you know together as an adult. Um, this morning, uh, about a minute and a half before I needed to come on stage to preach, um, I realized that I forgot to put on my belt. Now, in my current condition, um, I, I do not have a physique that is just, um, let's call it beltless. Like, it's just not a beltless physique. Like, it's, there's some certain challenges um, that work against not just gravity, but other challenges, other powers in play that work against a pair of pants staying in place. And sometimes you just need to find out what kind of church you go to. I told the, this morning, I said, you know, I, I'm about as nervous as I can be before I preach this message. And everybody was kind of like, oh, man, what is he going to preach on? Like, what's he going to confess? I was like, my, I'm confessing that my pants need to stay up. And, and after the service, uh, Stan Robocavich came up to me and he just, he, he put something in my hand just authoritatively. He says, you give this back to me when you're ready. And I looked down, and it was this belt right here. And I just want to say, I am glad to be part of Reedy Fork Community Church. Um, we don't just support you. We hold you up in time of need. Um, that's, that's, who, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's who Jesus is to us. So if Stan listens to this um, on recording, sir, it is, it is to your great your great credit that this service is as safe as it is right now. Because um, this morning I told him, I said, if I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes quick, do it. Do it. Do it. Do it right when I say it. <clears throat> and for all the people that ever listen online and go, that guy really shouldn't tell stuff like that. Um, well, you listened. It's, it's, it's not all my fault. Uh, we're going to be back in John chapter 12 this morning. Uh, or we're going to be back in the Gospel of John. We're in technically John chapter 12 for the first time. Uh, as we're in the Gospel of John, uh, we, we come to a place this morning that isn't just central because of its position. If, if you look at chapter numbers, we're, we're just over halfway through. Um, and if you'll take some time this week to look back at the Gospel of John and, or, or look, catch up on some messages, look back at some notes, you, you'll look back and you'll see um, certain signs that have been shown um, to the evidence of who Jesus is. You will see... Um, specific teachings of Jesus, you'll hear some really clear statements, you'll hear a real clear, clear presentation of who Jesus is, who he says he is, and at this moment, um, we shift gears in that this chapter begins Jesus' entry in to the last city that he's going to enter into. Um, he is now beginning in the last week of his life, and and we're getting ready to walk a journey with Jesus that shows us in detail um, the glory of who he is, the measure in many ways of his love, and, and the assuredness of, of God's heart and how much he loves us and how much he pursues us. 
John is an intentional picture of Jesus. And chapter 12 is the second. The chapter 1 was the first springboard, the diving board into really seeing who Jesus is. This chapter 12 is kind of like getting out of the pool and climbing up to the high dive and now jumping off of that. Um, we're we're going we're gonna to go in with a little bit more force. Um, we're going to go a little bit deeper. Um, and, and this is such a crucial chapter. So a few things that he shows us in this chapter um, I think are absolutely essential for our lives, not just to understand who Jesus is, but really to understand um, how we're supposed to walk um, in, in Christ, how we're supposed to live as a Jesus follower. Um, so as we're in chapter 12, um, I'm going to start in verse 4. <clears throat> Leading up to verse 4, John writes about Jesus being now in the home, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who we left last week as he was calling Lazarus back to life out of a grave. If you remember, um, he, he called Lazarus back to life after four days. Four days signified in their culture that there was no hope. There was no medical um, misdiagnosis. The, it, by, by day four, the, the soul of that person was thought to was understood to be in Sheol, and, and this was this was a permanent death. And out of that, we see that Jesus coming back to life in three days meant that he never wanted us. He never wanted his followers, his disciples then, nor us today, to ever be without hope. Um, and as we look into chapter twelve, Jesus is in their home. Um, he, he's he's sitting, and and there's this moment of worship where a flask, a perfume, about 12 ounces of perfume, it, it, the bottle would have had a long neck to it, and, and it was broken, couldn't have been resealed. It was broken. It was all poured out on Jesus' feet. Um, his feet were washed. It was really just an intimate moment of worship. And, it, and honestly, it was everything that looked like should be happening. Uh, I mean, it's like any church service you go into. If, if you know, about 10 minutes after a service starts, you, you just you assume you ought to be singing songs. You ought to be singing glory to Jesus. And in this moment, it looked like, yeah, it's, it's time for it. But out of that moment, we, we hear a question. It doesn't come from the crowd. It doesn't come from people onlooking. It, it comes from one of the 12, one of the, one of the closest group of Jesus. And the voice is from a guy named Judas. Uh, if you know the story of Christ, if you know the events of Jesus' life, Judas was the one that gets the credit. He gets the, um, the fame of ultimately being the betrayer of Christ. But it's in this moment because God is so, um, he, he's so intentional in what he's putting on John's heart to record and write down for us to see, read, and understand. It, it's in this moment that we, we really get something that's not just good to understand for what they did, but, but for how we can live. Verse 4. Uh, then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was about to betray him, said, Why wasn't this perfume sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He, he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of the money bag and would steal part of it, part that was put in it. Now, <clears throat> why are we told so specifically this flaw in Judas's character. I mean, it, 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 you would think it would just be enough to be known as the person that would go and would, would be part of the plan to betray Jesus. But God is very intentional on letting us know this part of, of his actions. Now, many times when you read about Judas, um, he's connected with this idea of the function of, 
um, our, our ultimate enemy, who is Satan. Satan did not just start out in creation as God's mortal enemy. Satan was created, um, he's a created being uh, who was originally named Lucifer. Um, the Bible tells us um, about his creation. It tells about what he looked like. It, depe- it tells about his fall. And one of the most unique things that it tells us is that this, this guilt that Judas was guilty of, this thing of uh, people would give money into this account to kind of support and finance the ministry that Jesus was about, um, the money that would go in that would be for him, for his care, for the people that he ministered to. Um, Judas was basically kind of taking a little off the top for him. If 100 came in, 10 went in Judas's pocket. The same thing that Judas was guilty of is actually the same thing that Lucifer was guilty of that removed him from the presence of God and convicted him ultimately. Um, if you go into Ezekiel chapter 28, it's one of a couple chapters in the Bible that give us some unique insight to this, this great enemy of God, um, this, this created individual that turned from God and is, and is ultimately against us following him, um, wanting to bring mayhem into our life, wanting to distract others from following God, wanting to basically build a side large enough because his misery is ultimately final already. And this is some things that we know about him. I want to read a couple things to you out of Ezekiel um, 28. It says this um, about about Lucifer, he says that, that he was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Um, when it goes on to talk about how he was created, <clears throat> if you can kind of picture this for a second, in, in his appearance, um, the Bible says specifically that every kind of precious stone covered him. Gold, jewels, diamonds, rubies, all of that stuff was just what he was made of. And also in his body were musical instruments. There were some percussion and musical instruments, some wind instruments that were built into his body because the places that it describes that Lucifer was um, were, were, were worship environments. Um, in Ezekiel 28, it talks about that, that it wasn't just Satan that was there deceiving in the garden, but, but even at the, at the conceptual thought of the Garden of Eden, a perfect existence, he still existed first as Lucifer. And that he was there to bring glory to God. He was there as part of bringing attention to God. But his guilt, it says, was that in his heart, in his wisdom, in his beauty, he started to look at himself as worthy of some of the praise. I mean, uh, imagine, imagine the attention in our culture that an artist would get. If you can just, in your mind, say, okay, if, if someone had incredible musical talent, flawless beauty. What, what, kind of, what kind of attention would they get in our culture? They would have a lot of people just off those two qualities appreciate them. And in Lucifer's heart, he wanted to keep some of the appreciation because he thought, I'm, I'm incredibly intelligent. And it was. God says his wisdom was perfect. He knew all that he ever could, could have needed to know. That his beauty was flawless. That, that his music was excellent. So when worship was going up in, to God in his heart, he took a little off the top for himself because he thought, you know what, I'm doing this. He took a little bit off the top for himself. And ultimately, as the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 28, as it says about him, from the day you were created, uh, you were blameless in your ways until wickedness was found in you 
It was that heart that got him out of heaven, out of the presence of God, and ultimately completely guilty and punished in eternity. Now, why do I make the connection this morning? It seems interesting that with all the knowledge that God has, all the brilliance and understanding that he has, and that same understanding is, is executed on this earth in Jesus. Why call somebody who's your mortal enemy to be part of your inner circle? Why, why, why call somebody in to your presence to be there all the time as just a reminder that his heart was going to turn? Why do that? I believe that, that Jesus is showing us the power that God has to achieve what God wants to achieve, even, even using the hard-heartedness of Judas. In, in, in a sense, saying, I will achieve what I'm here to achieve on earth. I will call all people to me. I, I, will, I will effectively pay the penalty for sin. And Satan, I'll even call you into this circle, knowing you're there, you knowing I'm there, and I'll still get it done. You know, many times in our life, um, if you're like me, we kind of follow the logic of we want to get rid of aggravations. Um, we want to eliminate threats. Uh, I, I remember having our first son. And um, when, I have to always remind myself what I was like when I had my first child because if not, I'll catch myself laughing at new parents and all the fun things they do. Um, and, and, and for some of you who have had um, a child already and, and you see people that come in and, and, they, and they put 300 cameras in their house and, and, and they stand outside the door of their child's room watching a black and white screen when they could actually just step inside the room and watch full color what their baby looks like asleep, you, 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 maybe you get a little bit of humor um, out of that with me sometimes. But, but I have to remind myself of what I was like when we had our first son. And when, when, when Connor was born, I mean, it, it was, I'm worried about everything, scared of everything, watching everybody, and, and then you have number two and number three. And, and over Christmas, um, uh, my youngest got this, um, uh, it, you know, there's scooters, but then there's the ones that you ride at, like skate parks and stuff. Um, so he was seeing, like, what all he could jump off of, like multiple steps off the deck, um, brick steps, concrete pads, and, and he comes in, and I mean, he's just, man, he's screaming one day, because it's just, he, you know the wounds are just like electric pink flesh, like you're down to the meat underneath it, and, and, and for him at that moment, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm dulled to it now, uh, this is not the first child, first moments, so I just look at him and go, Ugh, uh, get that away from me. Right, so it's <clears throat> at that moment we, we our senses are dull. We're we're not affected by the threat, this idea of danger as much. Sometimes for us, it's what we get used to. Sometimes for us, it's what we live through in life and realize that um, well, actually, here's how things could work out. Here's what God can do in those circumstances. And as we grow, it's not just um, it's it's not just maturity. But um, it's, it's, it's all the signs of maturity. One of those is confidence. As you grow in your faith, as I grow in my faith, God wants us to walk in Christ in a way that um, we can be aware that there's danger. We can be aware that there's an enemy. We can understand it. We can identify it. But we don't live in fear of it because we trust so much in what God's control is. And we can, we can, we can live in victory. Not just this idea that things are going to be all right in the end, 
But there is a thing that God wants us to do that I can do it faithfully and he will work in it and that's a sure thing. I mean, you you think about it. uh, At Jesus' life, I mean, of all the ways that this could have unfolded, the Pharisees, the people that were really wanting to kill Jesus, they were trying everything. that They could not capture him. They couldn't catch him at the right moment. They couldn't trick him into saying the wrong thing. Eventually, what was think about their plan that they devised. That they went to Judas because they started to think, okay, you know what? The only way that we're going to get to him is if we can infiltrate on the inside. We got to get an inside person to tear this thing apart. We got to get somebody to betray him so we can actually capture him because we can't catch him. The whole time, Jesus has invited him in to allow them to think you're getting on the inside. Because the difference was now what you hear in John chapter 12 is Jesus saying, now the hour is here. Jesus didn't get captured. He let himself go into their what they thought was their custody. He willingly walked into it. This is the kind of control that God operates in. And as we see Jesus live his life, remember we're called to be Jesus followers, so how we see Jesus live his life is how ultimately we want to grow and live our lives. Not flirting with danger, but not fearing it. Um, When we go back into chapter 12, to me there's kind of this comical thing that comes up next. Um, In in verses 9 through 11, they actually develop a plan to kill Lazarus. Poor guy, right? Um, he, He died the week before. Jesus brought him back to life. You know, so now, like we talked about last week, he, he didn't just die one time. He's now, he, God is grow, he, he's doing something in his life. Jesus is maturing him. He's growing in his faith. But, but as a product of knowing God better, he's now going to have to die twice. It, it's not death we fear. It's the dying process. We don't want to go through that. He's not going to go through it twice. And these people now are like, you know what? <clears throat> There's a lot of people talking about this event. What should we do about it? Well, maybe we should just go back and kill the guy. Maybe they'll stop talking about him then if he's really dead. I mean, this guy can't catch a break. Now, Jesus does something very, very different than what he's been doing um, in, in verse 12. It's, it's not that he's inconsistent. It's, it's just now the sign of the time that it is. In verse 12, it says, The next day when a large crowd um, that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, They took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Jesus wasn't riding in on a donkey because he, well, this is kind of hard to say this way, I guess. It's not so much that he had to. Now, he did it to fulfill prophecy, to prove that he was the Son of God. He wasn't riding in on this cult because he wanted to agree with what their motives were. He was saying, yes, my time is now. And as I go into this death for you, as I work, I'm also, at the same time, going to do things that will then come back to your mind later to prove to you that this was God's plan, to prove to you that you can continue to trust me and give you the courage to live for me because I've proved it at every turn. 
See, really, God can work that way in your life. It's not just that he's trying to achieve his holistic goal for this world. While he does all of that, he can also do things in your life just to continue to grow you as an individual. We're not just catching the leftovers from God's table. The whole world is who he's after, but you and I specifically are the lives that he wants to work in. It says, meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify. This is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. <clears throat> now, we, we read that, and that seems perfectly normal. Can we agree on that? If you were in a, if you, if you were in a, in a, in a social gathering, Jesus shows up, there's somebody dead and buried, he calls them back to life, they're wrapped up, he, they do the little hop out, they unwrap them, and this guy's now living, breathing, eating with his family, all this stuff is going on. You saw it, you're just watching like, just, I mean, like the, the, the face flap watch, just, you know what I'm saying? When, when, when your cheeks shake because you're whipping your head around so much, it, it, it's logical that you just keep talking about it. Like, you just go up to people, and, 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 there, and there's someone there, and they're just like, can, can, can I just tell you, I just need to make sure you've heard this story, because there is a man that raised someone from the dead across the street and maybe you want to put your burger down long enough to go hear him right now there is an overflow that's just natural when when we become aware of the power of God um, we, we we become um, very clear that we are saved when we have put our trust and faith in Jesus Christ when we know that, that Jesus has brought us from death to life th there is this natural overflow that is um, I, I, need, I need to share this. We're not just called to and told to, which we are, but, but there seems to just be this overflow that, that we should share it. Now, confessional moment for a second. You ready? Um, has anybody in here ever just kind of thought to yourself um, when you see somebody that's what we might call kind of like one of those like crazy Christians, like the lunatics, and you see something that you do and you're like, hmm, like I'm saved and everything. I just don't think I'm that saved, right? Like you just, you kind of see them and you're just like, did is, and you want to ask them, like, is, is there a reason why you, you, you hand-drew um, the entire Easter story around your Honda Civic? Like, I don't, like, can you help me with that? Like, when you stop at stoplights and everybody's looking at you, um, are you sure that's really what you want to do right now? Like, you, you, ever know, you ever seen somebody and you're like, look, I want to love Jesus. I just don't know that I need to love him that way. You ever seen anybody like that? Yeah, some of you are like, like, yeah, that guy lives down the street from me. We're just, like, we're just always wondering what's going to happen next. It, it is, it, there is an oddity um, in, in life when we think about, um, we, we see people that kind of seem a little different, a little bit um, eccentric in how they, um, how they share their faith and how they do those things. I, I want to set that aside for a second. On the far other end of the spectrum, I have found myself a little bit guilty. and Well, I say a little bit guilty. That's really nice to me. A lot guilty. And that there have been many days of my life when I have been so far from being a lunatic for Jesus because I have just completely failed to just even mention him in casual conversation. Now, we, we may say, okay, we need to find the normal place on the scale but we're probably arguing over the wrong thing. We're probably discussing the wrong thing. Really simply, just the natural overflow of our life should be understand the gospel, live in the gospel, and having received the gospel, um, then, then go and just 
just weave that into conversations. Just don't omit him from all conversations that happen in public. There are many days, honestly, if I'm just being just transparent, there's many days where I have functioned as a pastor. I have done quote-unquote ministerial activity, but, but I have I've left several public places where I've had interactions with people, and, and I have never mentioned anything about the name of Jesus and what he's done in my life. And I can sit back and say, well, I don't, I don't want to be the person that everybody thinks is weird. But I also have to get away from this, this reality of I'm just not talking about him. Um, and, and just the result, the, the kind of the solution just needs to be, all right, conversation's happening. I feel um, that, that there's purpose in this. I trust that there's purpose in this. How can I share something? Um, and then as God continues to open doors, continue to go in that. Again, remember, it, it's the confidence. We talked about living in the, in the confidence that our enemy cannot defeat us. It's also living in the confidence that um, we, we share, we share, and, and once we get over that fear, it's, it's even easier the next time. Has anybody ever shared, Christ, you shared something out of your Jesus story, and you can honestly just say that was one of the scariest moments of my life? I, I would say that's true for me. Sometimes when I just start a conversation, I, I, I get that angst of, of what's this going to be. Remember, God wants us to grow in confidence, and sometimes confidence is not running from a fear, leaving a fear, pushing a fear off. It's saying, in, in the shadow of that, what can God do? What light can he shine into that? Now, um, as they're talking about it, it says, this is also why the crowd met him, because they heard he had done this sign. Um, then the Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the, the world has gone after him. Um, in verse 20, now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. Uh, the Pharisees were acknowledging, like, we have tried to get this guy to just to stop, and, and everything we've tried is not working. We have failed miserably. In fact, they say that, that now it seems like the whole world is responding to the message of Jesus. And, and to that, it, it is Jesus saying, I, I told you this was the truth of God. I told you that I was sent from the Father. I told you that I and the Father am one. I have, I have recruited Satan into my group. Um, I have let you just go on with your, your, your theories and your schemes, and still I'm drawing people to me. This other culture, these Greeks, these would have been God-fears. They, they knew that God was true. They, they just were not inside the Jewish practicing religion yet to where they were going all the way into worship. But they came, and, and because they just recognized God, they saw some of the signs of what Jesus was doing, and they were like, hey, look, who is this guy? Can we see him? Can we talk to him? And they go to Philip. Philip was from a region that would have had some different cultural influence. He would have looked like someone that was approachable. Um, and it says, so they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew, then Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, if, if you're anywhere else right now, please come, come back with me on this right here, because, because this, is, this, this is incredibly essential. Um, he says, Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it, and the one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I think many times, one mistake that we make as Christians, as we look into God's word specifically on this passage, we hear this idea of um, what does it mean to hate my life? Like how do I really hate my life and that be a good thing? Or, um, God, why, why is it that if I love, the, excuse me, the life that I have, if I love that life, why is that so wrong? Okay, so God's word is being inspired divinely into the hearts of people, and, and God is helping them communicate it, write it down, so that we have his truth recorded through time to live by. He, he is still inspiring it to people that live in certain time periods, in certain cultures. Um, Many of the people that, that recorded God's word as God gave it to them in their heart, as they recorded it, they recorded it within um, writing styles. There are books of the Bible that if you really study them deeply, you'll see how they're organized. They're organized in a beautiful way to show us the, the really important truth in there. Some books are writ, written in a circular way. If you draw um, a series of concentric circles, you, you'll see the target that's in the middle of that book, and you'll see how that book works from the outside in, and then from that truth, back out, reemphasizing what God's communicating. There, there, there's beauty in the writing of God's Word. One of the Jewish practices was to write um, with, with contrast. When, when they were really trying to get you to make a decision, they were giving you sharp contrast. In other words, this scenario, love and hate. that They were trying to give us polar opposites so it would show us that there is a decision to be made. Now, for us, functionally, um, this is how maybe we wrestle through this. Um, if, if I love my life, what does it mean to love my life? Loving my life means um, loving this idea that I can be in control. I can make all my own decisions. Um, I, I, can really, I can really have all the, the control of that part of it, and, and, I, and I don't really need to open up my heart and open up my mind to what it really means for Jesus to be Lord. Because as Lord, that means he has, he, has, he has wisdom. He has to pour into us. He has to help us with those decisions. So as, 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 as I love my life, I love the control of it. I love the influence of it. And I don't want to open that up to anything else, anyone else. But if I hate my life, now, I, now when, when I do this, oftentimes I, I have taught it this way. Um, if you think about a food that you just, you know, you just despise it, you hate it. Like, and I know taste buds um, change over the years, but I have found that there are certain foods that are just not of God. Um, turnip greens, I've, I've, I've had them one time that I've said, you know what, that's not that bad. Um, all the other times, mm-mm, right? Just don't like them. Now, what do you do? Um, do if, if you're going through a line and you see something that you just absolutely hate, you say, well, you know, let's just put a lot on there and then I'll just eat around it. No, it's just very simple. You just leave it off. So consider for a second, if, if, if I hate my life, there are some things that I'm just going to leave off my plate. I'm, I'm just going to have them away from me so that they don't have a controlling influence. They don't have influence into my life so that what is on my plate, what is in front of me, are the things that the Lord wants. And if I live my life that way, then think about what I'm gaining. So we, we kind of wrestle over that. And, and, and I think the wrestling over that has caused us in many ways to miss the, the bigger point of emphasis. Jesus is saying something about himself. He, he, he makes a statement about what he's getting ready to do and the necessity of it. He says, 
if basically there's this stalk of grain, he said, if it just lives, it's standing on its own, it's beautiful, but that's it. But if it dies, then the seeds from that stalk of grain go back into the soil and are sown, and then many stalks grow. He's using this as an illustration to help people understand a very clear and simple truth. Jesus is saying to them, if I don't give my life, if I don't give my life, then others can't know God. Now, we would call that the gospel message. But, it, but remember, we're also called to live in Christ, live like Jesus. So if Jesus says, for him, he has got to put, put his life to death so others can know God, then that also translated in our life to say that, that certain things must die so that other fruit can come from that. Now, that's a difficult concept to wrestle with. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, does some work with this idea. In fact, he brings directly this idea into his writing. God inspires him to. Because I really believe that God knew it wouldn't just be one comment and we're all good with it. He, he wanted to show that this was something that everybody needs to hear, needs to figure out in life, and needs to understand what does it mean to live like Jesus. What, what things die, what's the purpose of death, and, and what comes from that. Now, in 1 Corinthians 15, this is not going to be on the screen, but I want to read a few things to you. Um, Paul, Paul helps us out here um, with, some, with some deeper meaning. He says this, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? These are questions that Paul is saying. He's basically asking these questions, um, representing other people. He said some will ask these questions. How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Um, he, he responds, You fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, perhaps of wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants, and to each of the seeds its own body. Now, th this is what Paul is saying. He says this, he said, listen, some of you are, are, are kind of coming up with an image in your mind of what life should look like. And, and, and maybe you've done this before. I, I know I've done this at different times in my life. We come up with an image of what life should look like. And, and in that image, we say, okay, th that's what I need to aim for. That's what I'm going to work on. If it looks like that, then I'm going to become that. And Paul says spiritually, he said, we're, we're a little off track. He says, because number one, he said, it's Jesus that gives the body. In other words, it's Jesus that's, that's actually knowing the image that what we need to become. And he's trying to take us there. He said, what, what we're forgetting is, is before, that we get, before we get there, some things need to die first. And he's using wheat as that example. He's saying, listen, remember, you, you can't get this new fruit unless some things die. Don't worry about the fruit yet. Just figure out death needs to happen, so what needs to die? You know, when I look back at my life, um, I, I've done this, I've done this in, in, in multiple ways. Um, I, when, when I think back to the period of my life, especially coming out of high school, going into college, and, and starting a career and some stuff, um, I, I, I really did know, I really did sense that God was calling me to, to, to serve him in a specific way. I, I felt like there was something that he had a picture of that I just didn't see. But there were some things in my life that I was, I was keeping alive and, and not putting to death. 
And some of those things were um, um, a victim mentality. I thought that, that what had happened to me in my life and different things, different circumstances, I needed to do something because of those. Because those weren't fair. I need to make some decisions so that I won't continue to live like that. Some of what I was keeping to life was this idea um, that, that I just, I, 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 I wasn't that kind of person. I wasn't someone that God would choose. I couldn't do what I'd seen other people do, so it just, it just must be me being wrong, me dreaming a little bit too much. Some of it was just selfishness and pride. I just, I wanted to be able to make my own decisions. So I started down that road. And you, you know what? And, and, and I started in, in the college. Um, when, when I graduated with my undergrad degree, um, so I, I got my, my undergrad is in business management uh, with a minor in communication studies. Now, when I say that, it's like, hmm, that, that's a pretty solid degree. Well, here's, here's one of the secrets of that. Um, I got the minor in communication studies by accident. I didn't even mean to get it. Um, I, I went to an advisor at one point, and they told me, they said, you only have to take one more communication studies before you have a minor, and that'll sound really good on your resume. Cool. See, the reason I had so many communication studies classes was because my advisor realized, because I was, I was in business, because um, the college that I went to said, you're, you're smart enough and, and broke enough that we're going to pay you to go here. <laughs> so I went in that route because I, I assumed, you know what, that's going to be how I'm going to make money. That must be what I need to do. So I went in there, and, and, and what they saw in me was a, an, an intense fear of speaking publicly. So they started shooting me towards communication studies classes to get over what this inadequacy I had was because they knew that, that I couldn't succeed in the core of what they were trying to teach me because of what I was so scared of. And, and it was incredible. I, got some of, I found some of the easiest classes in all the world. One of the classes I took, it was the easiest A I ever got in college. Um, I had three grades, three grades for a whole semester. Those grades consisted of three times that I had to stand up in front of my incredibly small class and read from a book, two children's book and a fictional story. My grades were just based on me reading with enthusiasm. It was easy. I was like, am I, I'm like, I'm... And for a minute, I was like, I'm paying for this. I was like, hang on a second. This is like buying an easy A. I'll take it. <laughs> and as I'm going through this process and through this period of my life, God began to show me some other things in my life. And, and while I was trying to be fixed by these other people, he started showing me things in my life that needed to die. Some of these attitudes and core beliefs that I had and my doubts about what he could do. I never, I never pictured that I would share his word publicly on Sunday mornings or any other time. That wasn't the picture I, I had developed, but I was working towards a picture. I wasn't just starting with, Lord, what needs to die? Because when I started, when, when I was able and he really concentrated on me on what needs to die, then I was able to become what he wanted me to be and do what he wanted me to do. And for some of us, I think really we, we're, we're so fixed on, on, on the image of what we think we should be we don't even realize that we're off track because we haven't just started with, Lord, what needs to die in my life? And I would like to tell you that it was just, it was done, it was figured out all then, but, but from that moment, other sins came up in my life, other struggles, all that kind of stuff, and I had to figure out, how do I die to those as well? See, in chapter 15, Paul also says that he, that in some translations it says that I die daily. Maybe you've heard that, maybe you read that. In some translations it says, he says, I face death every day. Because Jesus was God, so when he came to the problem of sin, he was able to die once for all of us, and it was finished. 
But this thing about our human nature says that, that we don't just do things often one time and it's done spiritually. We don't just, well, like we, we, we just say, you know what, I'm not going to do that sin anymore. I'm done and it's over. We, if you're like me, you go back to it and back to it and back to it and back to it. It can be a sinful attitude. It can be the way you see yourself, the way you see others, um, a bitterness that we hold on to, lies. It could be pornography that's looked at. It could be just relationships that are simple because it's sex outside of marriage. It, it, it can be um, the decisions that we make. It, it, it could be um, getting drunk. It could be giving our, our, our decision-making over to substances where we can't make a decision guided by the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and because we, just, we don't start with dying to those things, we miss out on the fruit that can happen. Jesus died once so that we could know him. For me, sometimes I have to stop myself and realize there's something I need to die to so that fruit can happen in my boys' lives. Relationally, um, we, we fear the decisions that we have to make. But we don't often start with, what do I die to? Now, Jesus doesn't just say this and kind of walk away, leaving it to where he, it, we would feel like, oh, I guess this is just a simple, easy thing. He, he returns, um, we, as, we, as we get back to John chapter 12, I want you to, I want you to listen to this. Um, Jesus says in, in, in verse 27, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour? But that is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, in this statement, Jesus really comes and meets us where we, were, where we are, I really believe. Because he doesn't let us just say, you know what, um, this is probably just easy, uh, Jesus saying to us, you know what, um, you're weak, suck it up, do better. This is Jesus saying, in my soul, I'm troubled. In other words, um, the, the deepest part of his thoughts, emotions, everything. He says, I am grieved. My, it, it is a wreck inside of me right now. You ever, you ever, you ever live that life where it seems like everything going on around you, you know, everybody's kind of got their thing going, it seems all normal. E even sometimes people are patting you on the back and congratulating you, but you're in, in the inside you're going, if you knew what was going on, on the inside of my mind, on the inside of my heart, it is a wreck on the inside right now. Jesus doesn't ignore that at all. He says, Let, you know what, let's bring that to the Father's attention. And, but, but then he pauses and says, well, well, well what should I say? Um, God, just take all this away? Just don't let this happen to me? And then in that same series of pauses, he goes, because this is actually why I'm here. This is the purpose that I exist for. And you know, I think many of us, we come into a moment where we say, hang on a second, I'm troubled. I, I told you that I, I, I had a great deal of issue even getting to the place I am now. Um, there, there were many times in my life where, where I, was, I was fearful over um, what it was I needed. And, and in an ironic way, throughout my time in ministry, God calls me to places where, where I hit a lot lower place in salary. And then the goodness of God's people and the generosity of God's people, he uses them to then build that supply back up. And every time that I hit what I think is a low point, God just pours buckets of provision out on me to take care of things that I'm not taking care of myself just for him to say, listen, if you will just die to yourself for a second, then it will allow fruit to be able to be received and to grow. It's an amazing way that he works this kingdom. Because he says, listen, if you're in a marriage and, and you come to a place and you say, well, what do we do? Do we just say, you know what, let's just call it quits? Let's just be done here? 
Jesus says, hang on a second, pause for a second and say, remember, why are you in that marriage? To show others the kingdom of God. So if we're going to do that, then what should we do now? What needs to die so that that fruit can grow? Students, when, when, when you're on your campuses, you, you have to consider as a Jesus follower what, what may have to die in a moment so that real fruit can grow. When we're at work, when we're in our homes, all the places that we are, if we just say, you know what, I want, it, I want to look like this. I want my life to look like this. I want it to be like this. The truth of God's word says today that that may be a dangerous pursuit. And the most correct question, in fact, could be, what needs to be put to death first? With the assumption that we may not know what the final picture is even supposed to look like. You know, for us, you know, life is not always, you know, the smoothest thing. But I really believe from the truth of God's word this morning, we can find, um, we, we can find sure faithfulness in, in, in this thought. Um, number one, um, the, the fear that we live in, the things that scare us, if they're there because God's doing something, that's the safest place for those things to be. The power of God says he can use anything, even the worst enemy, for his will. So what seems close may be there for a reason. And then, then out of that confidence, out of that, out of that mind opening, that heart shaping reality, when we get to the place to where we say, I don't know that I want to be here. I don't, want to, I don't know if I want to be in this moment. Do I, do I just pray to a loving father just to change everything? Or do I pause to consider maybe the purpose of why I'm here? Realizing that, 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 that for, for my kids, I need to die to certain things so that fruit can grow in their life because of the relationship that I have with them. I need to die to sin. Uh, folks, listen, please, please understand this. Uh, and I, I, I know this is common knowledge, I'm sure, but, but sin causes separation between us and God. It, it closes that relationship off. It needs, it needs forgiveness that he offers. But if, but if we just hold on to it and we participate in it and we choose it all the time, that it does build separation between us and God. And, and, and unless that sin dies, then the fruit of that relationship just simply can't grow. And I know that's basic understanding, but, but, but many times we go, God, I know I need to return to you. I need to be in church. I need to do all these different things. But hang on a second. What needs to die? What needs to die? And that's what God's calling us to consider. Not carry the burden of just what my future goals have to look like, what I don't measure up to. But to really first start there. I love many times when I look in the truth of God's word that he just, he, he shows me, he shows me. Derek, you just, you, you, you don't ever just have to have all the answers in the moment. You just need to be prepared to do one faithful thing. Would you bow your heads for just a second? Um, as, as we go into worship, I really want to ask you just to just sincerely be open to what the Lord's telling you. Um, to, to realize that this, the faithfulness of God's word is just so true. That, that death is worth it. We're, we're, gonna, we're getting ready to sing a song that just, that just talks about the certainty of just the effectiveness of the sacrifice of Jesus. 
And, and if you're not sure what God wants you to do right now, and you're just thinking about the word of God today, I want, I want you really, as, as, just as you sing, to listen to the words of this song. Because as you hear this song, the, the certainty of, of what's going to be sung reflects that as Jesus died, we came to be able to know God. That that happened, and it was, it was effective. And, and please take from that the confidence that if, that if God shows you one thing that, that has to die in your life, that if that sin dies, it draws you closer to Him. That if that sin dies, you walk in freedom that you've never experienced. If that sin dies, major things change in your home. So that death, just like the death of Christ, will always be effective, will always be worth it. And is a necessary step to growing in the kingdom. And no matter what's around you in your life, the the control of God shines light on that darkness in a way that it just exposes it, shows it for what it is, and never stops Him. It may scare us, undeniably. But while it scares us, it never stops him. If you want to know that you know Jesus as your Savior, that's our phone ringing here at church. It's a horrible time for it to ring. Maybe that's God calling you. You see how I just did that just then? (laughs) Maybe that's God calling you. He wants you to have the confidence that you're saved, that you walk with him. He loves you. He wants us to worship him now. So if you choose to respond to come up front to pray, we'll be here to meet you if you like. If you want to talk about what does it mean to know Jesus as Savior, we're here to talk about that. If you want to pray by yourself, that's fine. If you want to sing and worship, but as we sing and worship, let's worship Jesus for the effect of what death brought into our souls. And for the hope of what death will bring in our life as believers what it can do in your marriage, what it can do in the life of your kids, of your friends, of your co-workers, that much fruit, much fruit will come from that one, that one thing that God wants gone. Father, thank you so much for your love and your mercy. Lord, we, we hope in you, we sing in you, and we want to honor you and follow you in these moments. So God, open our hearts to you. Let our heart cry. Be one of worship. So Lord, let that worship come to you now. Lord, help us to not take anything from that worship. Lord, we already saw this morning just the guilt of keeping, God, what belongs to you. So God, we don't want to keep anything that is yours. We want to give it all to you. So now in this moment, all of our attention, all of our affection, all of our thoughts focus, we want to give that to you. We want to rejoice in you. We want to pray to you, God. We want to bring needs um, to the front to pray over. Uh, Lord, we want to rejoice in who you call us to be and who we know we can walk in. Thank you for the confidence and the assuredness of the worship that we've had today, that, that we are worshiping to sure and certain truth out of God's word. So help us to live and sing in that now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?